Happy Easter Grace Church. My, <laughs> my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I, this is the one Sunday of the year where every church in the entire country would love for you to have shown up. So the fact that you're with us is like an honor. So I just wanted to say thank you very much uh, for spending your Easter service with, with us this, this weekend. Um, and any guesses as to what I'm preaching on? Anyone? Anyone at all? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> this is the one Sunday of the year where like uh, uh, no pastor has a, has a guess or come up with what passages of scripture he's going to preach on. This is, the, this is the one sermon of the year where everybody's preaching on the exact same thing uh, every, every, everywhere in the world. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to do the exact same thing. Except that we're looking at the Easter story uh, through the eyes of a disciple that I'd never put into the Easter story before. Uh, the, the disciples and, and the way that Jesus picked them is one of the things I most appreciate about Jesus. And that if, if you were given the task of changing the entire world and you could pick 12 people, anybody you wanted uh, to be on your team, um, I think you would have picked a different crew than what Jesus picked. Uh, I would have picked, uh, I, I probably would have picked, you know, some, some wealthy people, people who could, who could bankroll the mission. I'd, I'd pick some politically connected uh, people who could like, you know, smooth the way for us, open doors, right? Uh, maybe a couple of guys who had like dual citizenship with Israel and, and Rome, um, which none of the disciples had, by the way. Uh, I would have picked some guys who were like eloquent speakers. I would have picked some guys from the religious ruling class, people who anytime we'd walk into a community would give us instant credibility. Those are the kind of guys I would pick. I would not have picked, I don't think, a single one of the goobers that Jesus picked. And I say that with all due respect. <laughs> it's like when somebody says all due respect, you can say something mean right in front of that. I don't know if that's true. Like you're a jerk, all due respect. Um, I don't think it works that way. But anyway, uh, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything, but I'm, 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 I'm constantly moved um, by, by the way that Jesus, not the way he picked them, but the type of person that he picked. Uh, there's four famous guys that he picked, four famous disciples. You don't have to be religious to have heard of, of these four guys. In fact, you could even be an atheist and, and you're dragged here to keep the peace with your family. Thank you. We're glad you're here too, right? But you've probably heard of those four guys. If you were raised in, in CCD or, or went to Sunday school or vacation Bible school as a little kid, you'd know the next four guys. And uh, I'd be really impressed if you were given a test to name all 12 disciples and you even came up with one of the last last four guys, because there's kind of like the, you got the famous, the not so famous, and the who, like that's, that's kind of the way, the, the way, the way they're broken up, so I'll, I'll show you, uh, the first four guys are really famous, you've got uh, everybody, uh, who's the guy who's on the, on the laptop at the pearly gates, and the jokes, his name is Peter, we all know Peter, he's, he's an easy one, you got Peter, you got James and John, uh, and I'd say next to Peter, James, and John, the, the next most famous disciple, everybody knows him, even if you're not religious, like I said, would be Judas, like everybody's heard of Judas, right? Like uh, he, he, Judas even made it into a U2 song, like on Rattle and Hum. Judas made it, okay, sorry, random trivia that only 12 people in the whole service is going to get. I'm just saying, like, like Judas is famous. Then, then you got the next four guys, which I'm going to have to look at my notes just to make sure. I know that Andrew's one of them. Uh, Andrew, Andrew was a guy. Uh, Philip. Uh, was was one of the disciples. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, was also a disciple. And then you've got Thomas uh, as one of the disciples. So that's in the not not so famous. Uh, you might have heard of those guys. Uh, the Bible only mentions like one or two things they ever did or said. But then the bottom four disciples, it's never mentioned anything that of, that they ever did or said. And, and the whole Bible, and it's kind of like, why did, like, why did Jesus even 
even pick those guys because it seems like a, like if you're drafting a team, I, I, Peter's a, he's a low second rounder, high third rounder at best. James and John, I, I don't know. It, I wouldn't put them in the top three, that's for sure. The other guys, they don't really do anything. The bottom guys are guys like, hold on, I do have to check my notes for this. Uh, the bottom four are Bartholomew. What did Bart ever do? Nobody knows? Like, name something that Bartholomew did. Like, you, you have no idea because there's nothing in the whole Bible that Bartholomew ever did. But he's one of the disciples that Jesus picked. How about Thaddeus? Do you know that was a disciple? Thaddeus. What did, what did Thaddeus. First of all, who names their kid Thaddeus? That's a horrible name. Like, there's a reason nobody names it. We all name our kids Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip. No, more, no, no mom would ever name her kid Thaddeus. And there's probably one person here named Thaddeus. I'm sorry, but you have a horrible name. <laughs> and you're like, I hate Easter from now on. Sorry, it's just true. All right. Then there's James uh, the Lesser. That's horribly condescending. His name is James the Lesser. Thank you. Thank you for putting that in the Bible for the next 2,000 years of people to remember about me. And then the last one it would be, would be uh, Simon, Simon the Zealot. So his name was, you know, his nickname was the Zealot. So I know that he was like an insurrectionist. He's like, he's always wanting to fight the Romans. And, you know, he's, he's r- running around with a half blue face yelling freedom. That's, that's Simon. But we never actually see that happen in the Bible. I'm just saying, it's, 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 not a, it's not a great draft is, is what, what I'm saying. And what I love about the people that Jesus actually picked is that they were just regular people. None of them were, were in the elite class. None of them were super wealthy. None of them were super educated. None of them, none of, them, none of the 12 were, were politically connected. They didn't have anything to bring to the table at all that would be useful for changing the world. And maybe that's kind of the point, is that Jesus didn't want to draft people who ended up thinking that they were all that, right? They were people that were constantly reminded of how badly they needed God. Maybe that was the point. Now, it's not that the elite or the wealthy or the politically in, uh, uh, connected or, or the educated did not become followers of Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, you see that all of those people were influenced and did also have opportunities to turn from their personal brokenness to become followers of Jesus because Jesus is for everybody regardless of where you're from or what you bring to the table. What I'm talking about though is that when Jesus starts his team, he went after the kind of people you probably would not have picked in in your draft is the only point I'm trying to make. And our our teaching this weekend is on one of those guys that kind of like I'm I'm, I'm surprised but not surprised. Like I, I feel it's kind of like a bad pick. Um, but, it, but it's Thomas. So we're looking at the Easter story this year uh, through the life of Thomas. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the first three books of the New Testament, the only way you would even know Thomas was a disciple is because when it says, here's the disciples of Jesus, it just gives us Thomas's name, much in the same way that even John just says Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon the Lesser, and Simon the Zealot. So, I mean, like that's, like that, or James the Lesser, sorry. Like that's, that's, that's the only way you would know that Thomas even existed. It's only in the book of John that we have anything that Thomas ever said or did. And, and, and the sad thing for Thomas is that he's forever known uh, by a nickname uh, from one weak moment in his life that he's forever pegged as. And, and we give him this nickname uh, on the front end of his name. And the name we give him is that he is who? He is... Doubting Thomas. Like, like, wouldn't that be horrible if, like, your greatest moment of weakness became the name by which everybody would know you for the rest of eternity? 
right? Like if I, if I lied to my wife about something, the, the wife liar, Sean. Like that would be a horrible way to be remembered forever. The guy who, like if I stole from my, my, my business, it'd be, right? Like, like a, that, that, that thief, Sean, like forever. I was like, holy cow, it's one time. Would you guys let it go? Like that's how I would, I would feel. And truthfully, uh, he's not referred to in the Bible as doubting Thomas. It's how we refer to the guy. I don't believe, honestly, that it's a fair characterization of the guy's character. I would say more or less that, that he was just, he was a guy who was trying to make it work for him, and it just, and it, and it just, it just didn't. Like he was trying it on, and, and for whatever re- reason, religion just didn't wear well on, on him. And so there's three different places he shows up in the book of John, and so we're going to look at those three places, and that'll be the Easter teaching. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 11. That's where we're starting, John chapter 11. Uh, in, in your Bible. If, if, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat that you're sitting on uh, or, or in the pocket in front of you unless you're on the front row. Um, or you can open up your Bible app. It's the number one most downloaded app in the world, by the way. You can go to your app store and search version or Bible and it'll, it'll pull up and you can look up the Bible verse there. But John chapter 11 is where we're going to be and I'm going to start reading um, in, in verse 5. And just so that you know what's happening in verses 1 through 4 is that uh, there's, Jesus had a really good friend named Lazarus who had two little sisters named Martha and Mary. They, they lived about five miles outside of Jerusalem. Now Jesus wasn't from Jerusalem. Jesus from northern Israel. But like all good, observant, religious Jews, uh, several times a year, I believe it's at least three times a year, you would have to travel from wherever you lived in the world, even from other countries if you were Jewish, and you would come back to Jerusalem for these three different annual these three different annual festivals. Jesus being not only a, an observant Jew, but also the Jewish Messiah, the rescuer of all mankind, obviously would go to Jerusalem all the time. But can you imagine if all the Jewish people from all over the world are all trying to come back to Jerusalem for the same three festivals? It would be a madhouse and almost impossible to find a place to stay inside the city of Jerusalem. So it doesn't surprise me at all that whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would stay in a town called Bethany at his buddy Lazarus's house. So Lazarus and Jesus were close friends. We don't know how they became friends. That was lost to history. And for whatever reason, God didn't think it was important enough to include in the scriptures for us to know. So apparently it, there's no like takeaway from this. But uh, a, a better way to look at this maybe would be that Lazarus was Jesus's Airbnb. Like whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would stay at Lazarus, Mary, and, and Martha's house. There's actually several different stories in all four of the first four books of the New Testament that mention Lazarus and different things that Jesus did with Lazarus and his two younger sisters and the disciples and all the different times that they would, they would stay there. But they become close friends. And in John chapter 11, verse 1, we find out that, that, that Lazarus has gotten sick. We don't know what kind of sickness. The Bible doesn't tell us that either. Apparently, it's, it's immaterial. It's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But he's, he's deathly sick. He's on his deathbed. Mary and Martha, the younger sisters, know that Jesus loves their brother Lazarus. And they love their brother Lazarus. And they've seen Jesus heal people from all kinds of different sicknesses. So it makes perfect sense to me that they would send a messenger to go find Jesus and tell him that Lazarus is dying and you need to get your butt here. Because if, if, if I was a close friend of, of Jesus and, and, and somebody I loved was, was dying that he was also close to, I would expect, like, if you can heal total strangers of leprosy and blindness and, and lameness, that you can at least get here and cure his pneumonia or his cancer, like, what, whatever he's got. Like, you, you need to do this. And so I would, I would send a messenger also. So that's exactly what they do. They, they send a messenger uh, to Jesus to tell him 
Lazarus is dying, and, and you need to get here quick. And, and here's, here's what happens. Um, verse, verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 4, uh, G- Jesus says uh, that, he, that he's sick, but this isn't the end of the story. Verse 5 uh, says, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was uh, for, for two more days. And I, there's, there's really no explanation given. I, I think we're going to see a reason in, in just a minute. But there's, there's nothing more pressing. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that Jesus does during those two days. Like, it's just, Jesus hears that he's dying, and he intentionally doesn't do anything. So I don't know, if does the messenger just sit there and wait on Jesus? And how anxious is this guy getting? Does he, does he run back to Martha and Mary and say, I told him he should be here any time. And then they're like, well, you got, are you sure you told him? Like, you, you did say it was Lazarus, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I told him it was Lazarus, but there's another day and he's still not there. And it's, you know, then he would have arrived on, on that next day. But, it's, but wherever he was, he stays two more days longer. Verse, verse 7, finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Uh, that was, you know, back, back towards Jerusalem again. But the disciples objected, saying, Rabbi, they said only a few days ago the people in Judea were, were trying to stone you. Are, 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 you sure, are you sure we should go back? It doesn't sound like, sound like a, a good idea. Um, because every, everybody was fine with Jesus being from God as long as they got their wish, which was that the Messiah, if, if there is a Messiah, when he shows up, he's going to fix everything around me. He's going to make our lives better. He's going to get rid of the Roman occupation, and he's going to usher in a new, a new day of prosperity for the Jewish people, reminiscent of the days of King David and King Solomon. And everybody wants that. And, and truthfully, I don't know how different we are than that. Like, I'm very comfortable with a God that's going to fix my wife. <laughs> Don't, don't fix me, I'm all set, but she needs some help, dear Lord Jesus, right? Like that's, we're fine with that. I, I want God involved, involved in my life if he's going to get me out of debt, if he's going to get me a better job, if he's going to make me more money, right? If he's going to take away my cancer, if he's going to fix my arthritic hip, if, if that was way too specific, um, so I, I, doesn't matter. Crap, now I have to say, I got a fake hip. All right, anyway, Jesus, why? Right, why? I'm a young dude. Uh, doesn't matter. My, my point is, like, I want a God who's going to fix things around me. Uh, but then as Jesus got closer to the end of his time with them, he started making it more and more clear that he wasn't here to fix the evil around them, but the evil that was in them. Nobody wants that. You, you don't either. Like, I don't want God to change me. I want him to change everybody else around me. So the more Jesus was starting to preach that the brokenness in the world that is the greatest threat to you is the brokenness that is on the inside of you, not around you. That meant that they were going to have to face the fact that they were the problem in the world. And we're all a little bit uncomfortable with somebody telling us that. So then imagine you have the authority and power to get rid of that person. You might take it, which is exactly what they did. They threatened to stone Jesus to death with rocks. So he and the disciples left. From the disciples' perspective, we escaped. From Jesus' perspective, I'm not going to die with rocks. I already know how I'm going to die. And it's not that way. So they leave. And now Jesus is saying, we got to go back. And that's making the disciples nervous. Because while Jesus is in complete control of his circumstances, the disciples aren't. They don't know what's about to happen, so they're incredibly nervous. And to calm them down, Jesus gives them a really weird metaphor. And, and what I love about him is he, he never 
fully explain. Like, he didn't take away all of the mystery for them. He, he wanted them to struggle with the things that he taught them because he knew that if they never struggled with it, they would never own it for themselves, right? So he never made, because good parents wouldn't make it completely easy for their kids. Like we, we want them to kind of struggle with things so that they can, they can get it. And Jesus was the exact same way. And here's what he tells his disciples to calm them down. He says, um, uh, let's, let's go back. The disciples said, are you sure we should go back there again? Verse 9, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But, as night, uh, but at night, there is danger of stumbling uh, because, because they have no light. And that didn't calm anybody down, right? Like, they're getting all nervous. Should we really go back there? Because last time we were there, they, they tried to kill you. And then Jesus' response to, are you sure, was, uh, fellas, when it's light outside is when we can get stuff done uh, because we're, we, we're aware of our surroundings and we're in control of them. But at, at night, we become fearful and doubting because we don't know where everything's at and we can, we can stumble, stumble, stumble and hurt. Uh, stumble and, 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 get, and get hurt. And, and so that was a very weird way of saying, fellas, I get it that you're in the dark and like you're really nervous because you don't know what's about to happen. That's, that's why you're afraid. But fellas, like, like it's, it's daylight for me. I, I see everything. I know exactly what's happening. Like, I'm, like I haven't lost control of the world. Like there's no surprises coming. This is all happening as it should. Like, like that's, that's the lesson he's trying to teach them. Like, like I see clearly, and I, and I know you don't know. That particular lesson was, was very helpful to me back in 2005 when I, I lost my job. And we'd already started a Bible study with some of our friends who, who had asked us to start a Bible study for a friend of theirs who had attempted suicide. And I was, it doesn't matter. But that's kind of like the beginning of how, how, how Grace Church uh, got here. And so my spiritually curious friends and neighbors were actually coming to this Bible study when I lose my job. And, and my wife and I weren't expecting that. And we had three weeks notice. Uh, and and uh, there's, there's some moments of freak out. And if you've ever, you know, lost a job or, um, you know, somebody walked out on you or you were betrayed by a friend or like you just had something really bad happen, you, like, or like unexpected, because I know like your situation might be way worse than losing a job. But but that was a freak-out moment. Like, I've had way worse things, too. I'm just not going to tell you because none of your business, right? So, I mean, like, we've all had stuff happen. Um, so, I'm giving the one I'm, I'm comfortable sharing. So, like, there was a moment of freak-out. And I'm, and I'm on the phone with my dad. And he said, he said Sean, did, did God know this was coming? And I, and I, said, I said, yes. He said, um, does God love you? And I said, I said, yes. Then has God already worked this into the story of your life? And I said, I said, Yes. He says, and does your life end for the glory of God and, and your own good? And Because he's just reminding me of all the stuff that God promised. And I, said, and I said, yes. He said, then your trust and confidence is in, in your ability to figure out what's next. But your trust and confidence is in the fact that God does know what comes next. And he's already worked it into the plan, kid. Keep moving. Right? Like that, that did help me. And so that was, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. Went right over their head. Here's what happens. Verse 11, then Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So now he's telling him why they were going. So Lazarus has fallen asleep, and, um, and I'm, I'm going to go wake him up. So he's, he's, he's asleep, but I will wake him out of sleep. The disciples, verse 12, said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll, he'll get better. That's, 
That's great news. They thought that Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So in meaning that Jesus, that Lazarus had, had died, Jesus said, he's sleeping, he's dead, but I will wake him up. I will raise him back to life. Like, that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Like, like I haven't lost control of the circumstances. I, I know what happens next, and, and I know you're afraid, and like, you're freaking out because you don't know, but I do. So I need you, like, you guys need to, like, like, trust, right? Like, I've got, like, this is going somewhere. We're going we're gonna to go to Lazarus, and he's asleep, and, and I'm going to wake him up. But they, they don't get it. And so he says in, in verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus, was, Lazarus is dead. And then he says this, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there earlier, which is an odd thing to say. Like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't make it back before he died. Like, it's, it's like, fellas, he's, he's dead which probably stopped the conversation. And I'm glad I wasn't there uh, in, any sooner. I'm glad I wasn't there, verse 15. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So what he says is, and, and I'm okay with that, because now you guys are going to have an opportunity to see exactly what I meant when I said it's daylight for me. Like, you're going to see that I really haven't lost control of things. That I can work even the bad. And it's not that God killed Lazarus. God didn't kill Lazarus. God didn't give him whatever disease he had that caused him to die. Right? Like every, everybody dies. Like sin and death are things we brought into the world, not, not God. He just says, and I'm okay with that because of what I'm about to do with it and what you're going to see as a result of this. So like he's, he's being as clear as he wants to be. Lazarus is dead, and I'm okay with him dying because I'm going to raise him from the dead. And I'm going to show you guys exactly what I meant when I said, I'm working in the daylight even if you feel like the lights are out. And this is Thomas's response. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too. Now we all get to die with Jesus. He's like, really? Have you not been paying attention to a single thing I just said? Like he's, and here's, he doesn't get it, but then he kind of does. I mean, he he kind of does, but then he doesn't. I don't know how to, how to put that. I mean, like, Peter's famous because of the, the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you guys will, will betray me. And you may have heard that in, a, in another Easter sermon at some other church. But he said, like, uh, um, um, the, the, uh, one of you guys will betray me. And, and Peter says, though I die, I'll never, I'll never betray you. And then Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter gets this credit for like they don't call him denying Peter, right? But he wasn't even the first one to say he would die for Jesus. It was Thomas. And nobody gives him credit for this. Tom, but but even in like so he kind of gets it. Like he's he's chosen. I'm like, I'm with Jesus. I, I like him. I trust him, right? I'm gonna follow him, even if it means I'm going to die. But Jesus is like, did you not like like you, like, you don't even get what I'm saying. So it's like, he's, he's trying to get this religious thing. It's just not clicking, right? Like, but he was all in it still. He wasn't even aware that he wasn't getting it un, until he was aware that he wasn't getting it. And, and I think that, honestly, a lot of us are in that place or we come from that place. Like, you, you gave religion a try and maybe you, you were raised in church and you got confirmed, and you did the baptism thing, and you went to pre-cana, and like you're, we're jumping through all the hoops, and we went to church camp, and right, like we're, like we're all in it, but there's just something about it that just, 
I don't know, like we tried on religion, it just didn't fit. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of like Thomas. Like he's trying to go along with it. Like he's like saying like, like yeah, I'm like, I'm, like he's trying. He doesn't get it. But he doesn't, at this stage of his life, he doesn't even know he gets it. Maybe you look back at, a, at an earlier time in your life when you were all about it and you, I mean, you don't really believe anymore, but you remember when you did or you thought you did and you were kind of like trying to make it happen. It just, Christian, like religion just doesn't fit on you, right? That's Thomas. He's a good guy. He knows, he doesn't have a problem with God, right? And you, you don't have a problem with God and, or religion per se. It's just, ah, that's just, it's just, I mean, it's good for you. It's just not my thing. You know, I, I tried it and it didn't work for me. That's, that's kind of, that's Thomas. Because the three times he's mentioned in the Bible, all three times, this is exactly what's happening. The same thing in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we're just a couple of weeks out from Jesus being crucified. And he tells his disciples, like three different times in the month before he was crucified, he told his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the Romans' hands. I'm going to be crucified, but I will come back. Like three different times he tells them. And they're like, is that like a light and dark metaphor again? Like, I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? Like, because like, they, they still weren't getting it. And he, and this is one of those times in John chapter 14, where Jesus is sitting down with all of his disciples. And he goes, he says, fellas, I'm, I'm going to leave you. Like, he's, he's trying. <laughs> Jesus is like, this, I'm working with morons here. You know, like, help me, dear Lord, God, please help me. Right? He's like, I'm going to leave. And when this happens, I don't want you guys to freak out. Because if I'm going to go, like I'm going to prepare mansions for you. And, and the word mansions is translated in English as mansions. But is essentially, I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to make a special place for you in, in heaven. Like I'm, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will surely come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And that's how I have it memorized from when I was a kid. And maybe you have it memorized from... You know, is CCD also, so you might be familiar with that passage of Scripture, but it's in that passage of Scripture where he says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to make a place for you, I'm going to come back. For where, where I go, you know, and, and the way you know, and, and you'll go with me. And I don't know what the other 11 disciples are thinking, but I respect that it's Thomas who goes, I don't, I have no stinking clue what you're talking about. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 5. He says, no, we, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have, we, I have no flipping idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going, so how, how can we know the way? And maybe Peter's like, dude, shut up. You're making us look bad. Just fake it. He's like, I ain't going to fake it. And maybe from your perspective, everybody around you has just been like, fake it till you make it. But at some point, you had to have the intellectual integrity to say, this ain't working for me. Like everybody else seems to get the religion thing. Nothing's sticking. Like I'm, I'm, and it's not for lack of trying. I've tried this on my whole life. I don't know, maybe, maybe God doesn't like me. Maybe you're special, so that's why you get it. And when you pray, magic Jesus dust falls all over your bedroom when you pray. I don't, I don't know, but I, when I pray, I feel like I'm insane talking to myself in my car. Right? I mean, that's, that's Peter. Nobody else going to say nothing? Like, I have no clue what you're talking about. 
I'm trying to get this. Jesus, I'm trying. I'm really trying. But this isn't working for me. And then he just walks away. Jesus, a couple of weeks later, is betrayed by Judas. He's brought up in a trial and he gets ping-ponged back and forth between the Jewish high court and the Roman authorities. Three times he's in front of the Jews and three times he's in front of the Romans and together they agree that, that the consequence is death. And, and Jesus, it wasn't an accident. Jesus went there intentionally, told his disciples even that when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to die and I'll come back. And it was Peter who had said, well then let's not go to Jerusalem, this is a horrible plan. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter and he goes, get thee behind me, Satan. So I mean like, like Peter was the guy that He's the only guy in the Bible that Jesus said, you're acting like Satan right now. And that was his first pick. Blow, blows, me, blows me away. But, but um, uh, um, uh, it all happens exactly as, as, as the Hebrew Bible, Bible said it would. And, and Jesus didn't commit suicide. That's not what I'm saying. And, and God didn't kill Jesus. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice in, in the same way that if you were at the mall and you're walking across the street in front of the mall and you have on your Bose or Sony noise-canceling you know, earphones and you know, the Bluetooth, your cell phone in your pocket and you know, you're, you know, whatever, and you're walking across the street and you don't hear anything and, and there's a, a city bus coming and, and it doesn't have any brakes because Sandra Bullock is driving it with Keanu Reeves in the passenger seat or whatever. And, and uh, you have no idea. I see everything. I see the bus coming and I see you walking across the street. And I, like, like, right? But you're, you're not hearing anything. And so at the last minute, what I do instead is I, I run out into the street and I push you out of the way and the bus hits me and I die. That's not suicide. That's sacrifice. Are you with me? The Bible says that every single one of us will stand before God as a holy and righteous judge. And he will not judge us based on each other. For some reason, we feel like it's a, it's a bell curve. And that is what religion teaches, is that you have to be good. How good? No religion can seem to say. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. Maybe you'll make it. Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll make it. But God doesn't judge us on the bell curve. It, it, the question isn't, are you better than the person who's aligned behind you? The question is, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws and being selfish towards your fellow man? So here's my question. And this isn't going to be the last time you're asked this. Have you ever broken a commandment? Have you ever been selfish towards your fellow man? Then are you innocent or guilty of sinning against God and against others? You're guilty. And if God is good, should he let guilty people off the hook? Not if he's good. If a judge let a guilty person off the hook, we wouldn't call that judge good. We'd call them crooked. We'd call them bad. We'd call them evil. So if God is good, then guilty people must pay for what they've done. But because God is love, he would let somebody take the place of the guilty person. But who's the only kind of person who can take the place of somebody who's guilty? I can't take your place on judgment day because I'm guilty of my own sins against God. But if God was going to let somebody take your place, it would have to be somebody who is what? Innocent. Somebody who is not guilty, but who here is innocent? See, I, I'm, not, I'm not innocent of ever breaking God's laws or being selfish towards my fellow man, so I can't take your place. There's only one person who's ever lived who's ever been innocent, Jesus. But if Jesus is just a man, then one man's life would be worth how many other people's lives? One. But if the Jewish scriptures are true, that said that when Messiah would come, when the baby got here, the son who would be born, the child who would be given, 
who would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That when this baby is born into humanity, he wouldn't be just a baby. He would be Almighty God as a baby. So if Jesus is innocent and he's God and he offers his life as a sacrifice, how many lives is God's life worth? All of them. Right? All of them. And that's what all the Jewish books, that's what all of, over 300 different indicators is what would happen in the life of Jesus. And in fulfillment of every single one of those, Jesus, Jesus steps into the path of God's wrath, the bus, and pushes us out of the way and takes the full brunt for us. Right? He's buried. On the third day, he raises from the dead. The first two people he's seen by are, are women. Then the disciples who didn't see him, they're doubting their story. This, it's not making, making any sense what they're saying. And, and nobody believes that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Even the two ladies didn't at first and until they saw him in the garden. They thought he was a gardener at first. And then, and then, then like, they didn't even recognize like, he was there. And, and they didn't believe. They're like, have you seen where they took his body? Have you seen where they took his body? And they're asking him, and they don't even recognize he's, he's there. They, they don't even see that he's, he's a part of their life anymore and then, until they do. And they're like, oh, my word. And then he leaves them, and they run back and say, we saw Jesus. He really, he really, did, he really did raise from the dead, and, and none of them believe him until Jesus actually shows up and, and proves it. But there's one disciple who's not there. You know who's not there? Thomas isn't there. You know why? I'm done. Bro, I, I tried it. Like I wanted it to work for me. It just didn't. And so he's not there. Like he has walked away from Team Jesus. Not because he doesn't love God. And he's not a bad person. He's... He's a square peg in a round hole that just tried too long, and I just don't, it doesn't, it's just not for me. So that's where we find him again in John chapter 20. If you've got your Bible, go there, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came, and so they told him, we saw Jesus, but he replied, no, I'm, I'm done. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand, put my fingers into them, and then place my hand into the wound in his side. Like, he's all, it's just business now. Like, I'm, I'm not even, no, no. Like, I'm not saying you guys are liars. I just don't think you're telling the truth. <laughs> like, that, that might be true for you, maybe he said, right? But that's not true for me. Like, I don't, like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend anymore. That's just, it's just it. I need more than, whatever you got was great for you. It, I, I just, I, I, it doesn't work for me. I'm glad you have that, but I'm not going to carry it anymore. Eight days later, it's been a whole week, whole week. The rest of the disciples are all about the whole Jesus thing. Thomas is just, ah. like what's going through his head over these eight days? Like the more he's around them, they're going like, but he doesn't, he's not sharing any of this experience with them. And like he's, he's that guy who's just always felt on the fringe of religion. That's him. 
Back at it. Eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, peace be with you, which makes sense that that's the first thing Jesus would say. If the doors are locked, they're all together. Somehow they got Peter, Thomas, excuse me, somehow they got Thomas to show up. So Thomas is there, the doors are locked, and Jesus just shows up. And the first thing he says is, settle down, because that would cause everybody to freak out, right? He had done that once before eight days earlier. They probably all pooped their pants, but now they're wearing Depends, so it's cool, right? <laughs> Jesus shows up. First thing he says is, fellas, chill, it's just me. Watch. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, I stinking love this. What do you think? You would have said to Thomas, Thomas, how many times I got to prove this to you? How many times I got to get involved in your life? How many times have I shown you who I am? Did you not see Lazarus raised from the dead? Did I not tell you that weird talk about the light and the dark and tripping over furniture and stuff and then it didn't explain it to you that, like, and then I showed you, like, Lazarus, did you not see the people cured of leprosy? Like, dude, you've had more chances than everybody. How in the world? Like, he, a warning? Dude, listen, if you don't get your crap together, like, what? What do you think Jesus should have or would have had a right to say to Thomas? Because whatever you think you might have said if you were in Jesus' spot is not what he does. Because he doesn't give Thomas what he deserves. He gives him what he needs. Another chance. I love that. Is that we can wander way far away from God. And we think... Because we stopped, because we walked away from him or quit religion or said we don't believe him anymore, that if he is there, that he probably hates us, that he wouldn't want us back. I'm too far gone, I can't come back. And I want you to know from this story, sorry, I'm getting really emotional. Because I can remember times in my life where I felt like God shouldn't love me anymore. I know what I would say about somebody who'd done the things to me that I've done. Right? God showed up to talk to one person. Thomas. The square peg. And here's what I know. When it comes to religion, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to faith, if you feel you're the guy, like, I, I tried this, and it's just not for me. If there was one person in this entire room that God would say anything to, it's you. It's, it's you. And here's what he says. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. He gave him exactly what he needed to come back. And dude, homeboy shaved off the round that, that those sharp edges, and he just homeboy went all round real quick. Went from square peg to round peg real quick, right? Look what he says next, verse twenty-eight. My Lord and my God. Thomas explained. The resurrection 
changed everything for Thomas. The guy who felt on the outside all along, right, was the guy that Jesus said, I'm going to make a special trip. I'm going to keep coming back. And you think you've walked so far away from God. But what I believe is that God's been following you ever since. And he kept following you until you would show up at this Easter service this weekend to find out that while you might have turned your back on him, he never turned his back on you. You haven't gone so far that you can't just turn around and be with him. My Lord and my God. Jesus affirms him, and then look at who he blesses. Then, verse 29, Jesus said to him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. What he says is, is Thomas, you got it. But I want to bless. And then who does he bless? The rest of the Thomases. All the rest of us who felt like we're too broken, like we're too far gone, too jaded, too cynical. You saw and believed. But bless all of those that won't get the advantage you have. Bless all the rest of the Thomases who will finally find their way back. He blessed you. I love that. Absolutely love that. You may believe in God in your own way. You're familiar with religion and aren't necessarily against it. But maybe you see yourself like Thomas. You're just more on the fringe. You're not a bad person per se. It's a little bit more complicated. You got disenfranchised because of the abuses in the church that were covered up. Some of us. The preachers on TV who buy in private jets, expensive sneakers. Right? They give me your money, TV evangelist. And the whole thing feels like a stinking sham. And all that is. Jesus has never been though. There's a lot of people who've done a lot of horrible things and they used his name to get away with it. But none of it was approved. <clears throat> things happened and you and God have kind of grown apart. You may feel like God is completely okay with how far away you feel you are, but you're wrong. I wonder if, like Mary, God has been active in your life all along, but you simply didn't see him. Until maybe right now. And maybe you're done running. And your problem all along hasn't been God. You feel on the inside, you know he's there, that he loves you. You believe you never had a problem with Jesus. You believe that he died on the cross as a substitute payment for your debt. And while you never would have asked him to do that, you would never be so fresh as to presume upon Jesus to die for your sins. Since he volunteered, you know you'd be crazy to ignore it. You know that. So since he volunteered, you're simply ready. I'm ready. If you want to take away my sins, please do. If you want to change my heart, please do. 
If you gave your life for me, I'm willing to give my life for you. Take it. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you're still Thomas, pre-Jesus' nail scars. And maybe your prayer could just be, God, I'm not against you. If you're there, I'm okay with the idea of that. You can show me, and I'll give you a shot. Can you pray an atheist prayer? God, if you're there, I'm open to the idea of you. And I'll give you what? Would you give them from now until the end of summer? How much time is too long for you to consider giving God a shot to show you that he's actually there? And I don't know what it would actually take for you to actually know that he's there, but I know God knows you better than either one of us know you, and I don't think that's above his pay grade. So maybe that's the prayer you can make. I don't know what prayer you're ready for. I just hope you make the one you're ready for. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you love me in spite of my doubt, in spite of the way that I've walked away, in spite of the way I struggle. I'm thankful that you've never given up and that for every time I walked away, you chased and brought me back. You're good. God, you are a good father. Help me to be the man that you want me to be. God, for those of us in here who are struggling with faith, where like we've tried it on a hundred times, it just doesn't fit. God, we are Thomas. I'm thankful that John put his story in here because it's me. If that's your prayer, if you're Thomas, then your prayer is, God, I'm not against the idea of you. Show me. Can you make that prayer? I'm open. And will you give him a legitimate shot? Go somewhere from now until the end of summer. Give God a legitimate four-month shot. Can you do it? Maybe you're already there. Maybe your prayer is, God, I'm tired of running. If you will forgive me, I would love that. Take away my sin and help me to follow you also. Can you make that prayer? I pray that you're pleased by the attitude, direction, and focus of our heart. God, please. Do anything you want in us so that you can do what you have planned through us. That's our prayer. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.